0: Can we all three maybe recall a recent mistake that we had to learn from? I, I can go first, give you some time to think. From seven CTOs, my name is Etienne De Bruin, and you're in the CTO studio. It's so wonderfully humanizing when even just listening to some of the mistakes or some of the blind spots. because. When others find out that we're also screwing up and we aren't quite this mental image that they have of us, it's such a beautiful, intimate moment. I had a recent one. You guys don't have to do this, but I would love if you did. For those watching, this is all unrehearsed. Okay, so I... We're going to watch this? I'm recently... (laughs) Nothing's going to watch this. Or every, or is it going to go viral? Who knows? I, I had a, I had a, I had a recent encounter with plausible deniability that brought me way too close to the laziness that comes with a high paycheck and the willingness I had to overlook some decisions the CEO was making. Where, but I was comfortable because I was getting a lot of money and for a fairly low engagement. And and it all came down to this massive crash where the CEO went off against his own team. And in that instant where that happened, I realized I was actually part of the leadership. So I wasn't actually sitting on the Zoom call. I felt like I was one of the team. But actually, as he was, burning down the house i was actually sitting proverbially sitting next to him and in the subsequent weeks i found out that the team viewed me as part of the leadership and that i felt plausible deniability because i didn't know it was going to happen i really didn't but looking back i can recall countless times where Advice wasn't taken, strategy was changed, unreasonable expectations, just changing things on a whim. Where if I was being true to the craft, I would have said to the CEO, what, dude? I this is a great paying gig for me. I actually really love doing this with you. But here's my limit. Like if you're not gonna do this for the tech strategy or for the product or stick with what the team has done up until this point, I'm out. And I'm happy to take your phone calls and answer your emails, but I do not want to be a part of this engagement anymore. And that is your choice. And I didn't do that. And I will say I've learned one of the most powerful lessons of my career up to this point is as CTOs, we are part of that leadership structure. And if the gig is good... How willing I was to overlook some really
1: bad. I think it, it's you. You don't want to second guess your CEO too much, and you have to give them some amount of faith and trust that they know what they're doing. And it's hard to face. Oh wait, maybe mm-hmm. they don't. Or maybe maybe this is not just a few episodes. Maybe this is a pattern. And that's not the problem that I encounter. But the exact same failure was not recognizing that I was part of leadership. And I'll actually, I can go all the way back to Avo because. Like I had come up in the 90s where mergers and acquisitions happened every three. Like every company in the late 90s, especially I was in defense and aerospace, was eating every other company. One day, and often the acquisitions were like reverse acquisitions. So your company would acquire a company suddenly you worked for GM. You know, it's like, what? And whenever that happened, there were two things that happened. There was always blood everywhere and there was always like a power struggle. But you learned to see it. And then there was a special kind of takeover, which was a private equity acquisition. And a private equity acquisition was always impossible task, impossible KPIs, zero resources. And then they would burn through the people trying to accomplish that. And the ball would get moved further towards their impossible goals. So for them, it's a good system. It burns through people, but it actually does produce the profits. Otherwise, they wouldn't continue to do it. And I'm not criticizing private equity in any moral sense of the word. I'm just saying it's a difficult situation to work in. I thought everyone else had that same kind of attitude and experience and dark humor. Like, oh, we'll all be lucky if we have a job tomorrow. But as soon as the acquisition is announced, that's like, oh, okay, get ready, buckle up. But I'm part of the leadership, They're not expecting me to make morose humor about all of us losing our jobs. They're not expecting me to be yeah. like what, you know. What do you expect me to do? I gotta cut somebody. It's they're not expecting me to be part of the team. I'm the authority figure. So in the exact same way that you had that discovery for the first time, and, and I think it was actually working as a VP instead of CTO, because when you're CTO, people aren't willing to give you the same amount of feedback as they would if you were VP, because you have more authority. So I have never forgotten from that moment forward, that I am always in a position where I'm not, it's not me against management. I am freaking management yeah, right. and, I, and I, have been for a long time. With
2: that timing specifically, just also, cause when you came in, cause you had way less context, you had just as little context as everyone else. Whereas if you'd been in the company already,
1: you would have actually had way more context. And- for sure. But I think I had an implicit bias that, Hey, I'm one of the team. Yeah. Not, hey, I'm management. And, yeah. and it was. And that's a cop-out. I've had that cop-out going for at least a decade.
0: I feel like I just learned it a couple of months ago. It's it's shocking. It's uh reputation. I actually went and upgraded my insurance and my, cause I thought I was gonna get sued and as part of the, as part of a larger suit that none of that happened. And, and the company has since recovered and all that, but that was a definitely uh, a moment. Like I am actually on this side of the table and I'm not on the other side. Now, the anarchist in me and the everyone was like, oh, one of the team and we're doing this. And but
1: really, you're not. When you're a founder, it's also really different, right? Like that moment of starting a company, everyone knows that like it's high risk and it's like fast paced and. That there's collaboration, but it's different when you go into a company that's been around for a while and, pe- and there are many people there who are just trying to advance their career. They're not part of some adventure where everybody's going to get an equity payout or a collapse I later.
2: It's, I think I see founders make all the time is this because when they, they do start the company and there's three people and then four people and five people. And for the longest time, they like know everyone and they're used to everyone just approaching them and asking them whatever. There's very little kind of sense of, oh, that's the founder. And then all of a sudden they're in a company with 200 people. And they're like, why isn't anybody like talking to me anymore? I'm just like, well, I'm just here. You're the CEO. And there's a lot of people who, when you were the CEO and they're like, oh, yes, I think the challenge, and this is why these kind of networks are really valuable is I did learn. I, I learned a little while ago and maybe it was because I moved up into senior management in a much bigger company. Where there was, there was, when I became a director at Adobe, like all of a sudden I was on a completely different comp plan, completely different benefits package, like accessible. And it was like, there was a demarcation. It wasn't just, oh, I was here one day. And it was like a trumpet Sound,
1: red carpet yeah, yeah. rolled out, massages yeah. in the management club room.
2: And all of a sudden, like, I, a team moved into my org and, and they made a presentation to me. And I'm like, why are you presenting to me? I'm just here. And if it was like this really formal, this is who we are and this is what we do. And I'm like, this feels really strange. This doesn't make any sense. But I realized in that moment, oh, that's who I am now. And I need to be nodding and going and asking questions like I'm an executive because guess what, that's what I am now. But that's why these networks are really valuable because the, there is a point where like if you're a CTO and your CEO is standing up there Saying something ridiculous that you don't agree with at all, and you think is stupid, and maybe you fought with them in the E team meeting for months about a decision, and they go up there and announce it, and you got to just sit there and go, "Mm -hmm, "This is great." And then you got it. You're going to go into your team meet. You're going to go into your work, and they're going to say, "Why are we doing this? this? Is nuts." And you're like, "Oh, here's all the great reasons why we're doing it, and this is awesome." And in the back of your head, you're like. This is so freaking stupid. I can't believe we're doing this, but I can't say that. And then maybe with your directs, you're going to have that conversation. I don't know why we're doing this. This is nuts, but you can't do that to the company because you are that you're, you're the exact team, whether you agreed with that decision or not, you got to represent it um, to the company. That's, that's part of the gig, which is why having these kind of CTO networks is really valuable because. I can't, you can't talk to the people in your own company about some of these things sometimes. So, and, you, and I,
1: folks, you can talk to about stuff. And you should definitely not be talking to your directs about struggles. In can, no way. You, you can't can talk about, you can't, it. like, if I,
2: you you can talk about your opinion on stuff. You just can't say, like, the CEO has gone out, uh, you know, it's gone. No.
1: That's that's what I mean. Who are you going to talk to about it? And you you also can't talk to about it at your same levels. Whether you're VP or CTO doesn't matter. I can't go to the chief marketing officer and be like, oh man, the CTO, what is this thing? We're not going to. Maybe it's a cloud thing, and they want to do a migration, and that's not part of the you know core business. But they came back from some conference, and they're convinced that the most important thing for the company is a complete pivot to the cloud. And you didn't sign on for that. You maybe you signed on to do an enterprise database. I don't know. But the scenario is you can't undermine the new vision by creating a back channel with other folks at your level that expresses all your doubts and fears. To do that, first off, that's suicide politically. Second, you shouldn't do it, right? You need to be supportive or leave, right? Either support or leave.
0: And this is then where the work goes into how do I in as objectively as possible, now state what happened. Because in the end, even in these groups like seven CTOs, you still only have that person's version of the story. And then I find that a lot of times when I listen to these stories, I ask myself, okay, that's your your side of the story. There's some confirmation bias in there. There's victim mentality in there. There's, There's outsourcing ownership. And so now the work becomes, and this is why I tell people, you probably also can't talk to your friends about this. You also probably can't talk to your favorite advisor about this. So now it becomes hard work to say, hang on, I really have to figure out where was my blind spot? How did I participate in this? How do I respond to this? And that's where even in a just the fact that you're part of a peer group, still is only 49% of the solution. Hmm. The other 51% is how do I get you to accurately represent what happened? And if you're, in, if you're unable to do that, how do we get the peer group to now dig in their heels and say, you know what, dude, you know,
1: something doesn't sell sound- I think you're coming back to why it's so important to have a broad, diverse peer group. Because one of the things that I get, is, so I talking to your spouse or your friends is not helpful because you're just venting and they're gonna take your side. But what I hear from communities that I belong to are, you're not used to hearing no, or you're not comfortable working in an environment where you have to do something you don't wanna do. But the rest of us, that's been our entire careers. So it's helpful for me to be reminded of the ways in which I'm just lucky to be in the situation that I'm in and to reorient myself and say, okay, What's my obligation to this moment, right? Like not just what's in it for me or what's best for me, but I got here somehow. What do I owe this moment? Is there a level of professionalism I need to exercise? Is there some pride or principle I need to address? And are there other people who are counting on me and I made commitments to that I have to find a way to live up to? And just coming to terms with that reality. I think it, it, you can't do that if all your peers are the same. Because they're just going to be like, no, it's not your fault. Yeah. I, think it, I
2: think there's a couple things. One, being able to actually articulate this thing you disagree with and support it to your organization tends to give you at least some level of empathy towards that decision. So that helps. That is actually helpful because I've got to argue for something something I disagree with, So which means I have to understand it. So I can disagree with it, but that's going to make me a lot less kind of just reactive to this decision. But I think also if you're lucky in that network, you have folks who can take more of a coach mentality. So when I've had exec coaches, the the beauty of them has been not that they're not gonna support you in that. They're gonna ask you questions. They're gonna, they're not gonna challenge you on your opinions. They're gonna ask you to go deeper and try and again, try and try and make sure you have that empathetic, aspect to it so that you are understanding your own role in it and i think with sometimes what i've done where in the aftermath of one of these things where it was just something i disagreed with and didn't go my way and it was really annoying me i've had to put some distance and then come back to it and just really just try and go through everything you know, just mind map all the reasons why this happened all the things I did could have done differently all the things that I re- you know possibly reacted to it's hard work to your point but it, a good member of your network will prompt you to to at least look at it that way but that's also finding people in your network that are experienced
0: and have done the job for a while right yeah and that is all in that 95 percent effort that it does require to to seek out like Ashley said diverse opinion like i'm hearing all the good stuff now what is what does a contrarian view look and sound like in this situation right how much of your confidence as a technical leader is derived from a positive image that your c suite has of you how much am i how, how much of our images comes from a positive image of C it? Confidence-wise. So I'm i I'm thinking if I search my own heart. Yeah. And and this kind of dovetails into what we just spoke about when someone is actually confronting you and with the mirror and you're like, I do not like what I see. Oh I I'm a horrible person or <laughs> I can't believe it, or I completely screwed up. How That takes an immediate hit to your confidence.
1: So reverse it. Think about the networks that we rely upon for good advice so that I don't have to try to come to my own decision. You are that entire network your CEO doesn't, they're not asking other people in general about technical questions, they're asking you. And the minute there is any level of distrust between them and you, any of disappointment, any of, Hey, we, we weren't on the same page communication wise. Any, what do they call it? No distance between you, right? Not even air. And the minute there is any, then they need expert advice from someone else. And (laughs) that's going to conflict with whatever strategy you're trying to execute. So it's as important for your own skill to be 100% aligned, even if that means that some, here's a good example. G Suite Outlook. It's a decision every startup CTO has to make. Sometimes you do both. (laughs) Sometimes you do one, sometimes you do the other. But that outcome is something where your CEO is going to have an opinion about it. And you can just like not freak out about that and be like, okay, we're an Outlook company. My CEO wants us to be an Outlook company. I know my developers are gonna grumble, but whatever. Like plenty of companies use Outlook. Pick the ways in which you can support your CEO if you are going to be committed in that relationship, I, like I have to come back to either, either support your peers at the management level a hundred percent, leave or address one of their weaknesses in a direct way. You cannot just ignore it.
0: But how does that? But how does what you just described around trust or likability? I find that I feel confident when I feel like I am viewed favorably. I'm like, wow, he's knows all this stuff. He's made all these changes. And, what
1: about then they're not gonna view you favorably all the time. So if you so,
0: but that's, that, it, I'm asking you what, how much of your confidence is derived from people's positive view of your decision-making and leadership style. And then if you lose that, If some daylight starts forming between you and your C suite, how does that impact your confidence? Do you just take on a, and I'm actually doing a personal therapy session now, so you guys are welcome to, but as I'm a people pleaser, so I find that I thrive on the popularity of my decisions and the pats on the backs and the, but when I sense, when I sense that distance forming, I find that I lose my confidence. And so I want to know from the two of you, is that a problem you have? And if I hope you don't, because then you can just tell me how to really do it. But if you do have those uh, moments of insecurities where you don't think you have the trust of your people anymore, your C-suite specifically, what the heck do you do? Do you fight to get it back? Do you start looking somewhere else? Do you is that sort of a one roll of the dice really? Because this is how C-suites work. You you basically are uh, you when you lose that trust, you're out. Like what how's how has it been for you?
2: Probably the biggest mistake I might have ever made as a CTO would have been overestimating the amount of confidence that the e-team had in my decision. I was somebody in the e-team really wants something and I don't think it's a good idea. And I'm like, here's why it's not a good idea. And I move on, but they continue to push for it and push for it. And I just keep saying this is a bad idea. And I'm assuming because I'm the expert and I have that, I should have that level of trust. And then realizing later, oh, because I constantly, just because I kept pushing back at this kind of request, I what I didn't realize is I was eroding trust um, with that person. And they were then arguing to the rest of the exec team that, You know, because I wouldn't do what they wanted. And I just assumed I have the goodwill of the exec team because I've had, I've always had the goodwill of the exec team. So I tell you is uh, the problem, like execs are, and again, like it's going to depend on the exec team, but I think execs are a little bit different than normal people. I do think that, and I have seen this in executive teams, not with myself, but, but, but with others, once you're out, you are out. And I can see that if you had goodwill, it depends on what you've done, but I think if you've had goodwill and had trust and done well and then make a mistake, you can usually walk that back. But if you've if you've lost the trust of the team, you just start you start getting pushed out and it becomes harder and harder.
1: That's why I mean that's why OKRs are so important right? Because if you have objective measurements where everyone can point and go, ooh, this person helped us achieve that number, whatever it is, like maybe it's CAC and you helped the marketing team get it. You delivered to them a ton of tools and extra resources so they could bring their cost of customer acquisition down to some number that they needed. And you did that when your OKR was something else. That, Executive team member who may be unhappy with their relationship with you is still going to support you. I think,
0: and this is my point: is you have a roll of the dice, and if you somehow have lost the support of your CMO because you wouldn't blah blah blah, then even if you have those delicious results, they're just gonna just not just gonna find a reason to get rid of you. Yeah. So you
2: may have the you may have the CMO the CMO loves you the chief people officer loves you or whatever so you got and you're just hearing how happy they are with you all the time and what you don't realize is the CRO is angry at you and because you've got this love you're like oh I think I'm doing pretty good and what you don't realize is the CRO is just talking to the CEO every week and they're one-on-one telling them all the things you're doing wrong like all the things they think you're bad at. And you, all of a sudden you find out like, oh, I'm in trouble,
1: but at that point it's way too late. And make me quit and join an alpaca farming collective. Come on. I have to believe that my peers, that when I have struggles with them, it's just because we've lost trust and communication. And I, I know there are sometimes people who get under pressure and then they try to perform a political maneuvering and that happens. Shoot, that that happens at the dev level as well. We witness it every day. So it's especially between DevOps and developer, right? If, especially if you You've got two Veeps, one that's responsible for DevOps and whispering in your ear about how mean and incompetent the product devs are. And you've got product devs talking about how trollish and unresponsive the DevOps are. That's your problem. You made that mistake to allow that culture to happen. It can happen on an individual basis for brief periods of time. But if it's happening as part of normal operating business at the E-level, I would say the CEO is doing a really poor job.
2: And and that happens we know a lot of startups who have inexperienced CEOs they've never run a company before and they may actually not you and i and if yeah. that's happening in our organization we put a stop to it. stop yeah. doing that and let's fix yeah. this whatever the ceo this may be their first company
0: yeah and i, I definitely don't want to conflate this to just this first time ceo i i personally think that we grossly underestimate the importance of having an advocate in the C-suite for you. So let's say in that scenario, the CMO is an advocate for you when the CRO was complaining about your decisions. Yeah. And I just think that it's actually critical in the C-suite to to play that game. And I think it's we are naturally averse to playing that game. We don't want to play that game. We want to be in Ashley's world where the results speak for themselves, man. I mean,
1: have you ever had a CEO do a one-on-one with you about your career? Or about your... I've only ever had status one-on-ones. They'll schedule the weekly meeting with you. But it's a list that they want you to get sure done. Because that's
0: the CEO you know? is not going to say, hey, I really want you to help develop your career and become the CTA. No,
1: so as my CEO at AirHelp got better and better, right? This was the best thing about surviving instead of quitting. So this is the best thing about pushing through. Because you said you think you're basically once you're out. And I'll say that's not true. I was out like four times at AirHelp. Oh. Uh, and and, and Henrik will agree with this for sure. But he, he only ha- ever had the eye of Sauron to focus on one bad performer at once. And so he'd focus on me as what he considered to be a bad performer. And then I would get my VP of engineering to solve it. I'd be like, okay, here, what is it that he wants? Machine learning. Okay, great. There you go. You got it. But, again, but, but, you but,
0: absolutely proving my point, which is you understood that the eye was on you. You understood what needed to happen. And this is what I'm saying is, is I'm saying that a lot of times we rather go the other route where we say, I'm making the right decisions. And like uh, Kevin said, I have a lot of confidence that they trust that I'm making the right decisions. But really, the eye is spinning around the room. And if it falls on you, you need to have the wherewithal to say, I need to cash in some chips here. If they want AI, they want the, the machine learning juju right. And, right. and then go and just give it to them because this is a political game. I personally There's know it takes you gotta do it. Yeah. I yeah. personally know that bullshit requirement. But you know what? If it's gonna buy me an extra six months or an extra eight months, this is the game that I think yeah, get played. At and the- that
1: gave me a chance to get better at my job and watch him get better at his job. That's really cool to see him become a really good CEO. I'd go work for him again now if you're listening.
2: You know, part of this is understanding your peers on the exec team and understanding, like, okay, what I'm uh, everything I'm hearing is good, so I must be doing a good job. Except what I'm, I just realized, I haven't talked to this. I haven't talked to the chief people officer in six months and they're just building a case against me because whenever, chief people officer is not a good example. Let me pick on some, some, a different (laughs) moment to get on the bad side of chief people officer. You gotta be doing something bad. Um, let me say that the CMO, like I'm for whatever reason, the CMO is unhappy with me. They're not talking to me because maybe we've had bad interactions. I'm not talking to them either. Meanwhile, they're basically, this is how this, these teams can work. And so you need to be looking, understanding and making sure you're connecting
0: with every one of your peers on a regular basis. So just to take the abstractions out here, I think from my experience, having run seven CTOs, the most contentious roles in the C-suite, you guys want to take a guess from your experience? I'm sure you're going to have your own The most contentious role where what you just said, Kevin, is is what happens where they they go quiet on you because they're building a case against you. Guess which C is doing that against you, the CTO, most likely. (laughs) From empirical evidence, it's the COO.
2: Okay. I'm not usually in companies with COOs.
1: Yeah, I was about to say. I, I usually it's like a it's like a geology thing. There's like a layer of different types of org charts that are common, and you're like in a. I think that's three layers of sediment below. Because these days, COO, CFO are one job, and it's awesome.
0: Often- so I think that the point for me on all of this is the to not be naive that if you just do a good job that you're going to have people support. I do agree that people will go quiet on you and they start building their case against you. It is a supremely relational thing, this thing called the C-suite. That's why the hiring six months because they want to figure out if they like you. And the firing happens so quickly. And then I think that you need to have an advocate for you. you. You need to have that person that when you're not in the room, you're pretty damn sure that they're, fighting for you i
1: I don't want to disagree with you but i i also don't think you you can't count on that it's it doesn't make sense sense for a different c-level person to spend their capital defending i only have so much capital and i have to spend most of it defending my team against bad decisions so unless replacing the cmo is catastrophic for the company As much as I might be good friends with the CMO, I'm going to have to at most times say there's only a certain level in which I can advocate for you. Because in general, if you're having trouble, you're going to have to solve that on your own. I can advocate for you a little bit, but I can't spend all my political capital. Where you get protection is the layer below. If you make sure that the layer below is very closely connected, then you will not have someone go dark and then suddenly show up with a list of complaints that they, d- you will know about it as it's going along because your directs will be telling you that the head of organic or the you know, Google analytics person was saying, boy, my boss sure hates your boss. That's where you're going to get that intel. No one's going to advocate for you. You have to bring that to the CEO and say, look, I know I'm having some issues. We haven't talked a lot between me and this person. So we need to get objective. I need numbers to be hitting because when that negative information is coming to you, I need you to be comfortable with that whatever the issues are, I'm still performing. So let's get clear on what your expectations are because I don't want this bad relationship that we currently have. And hopefully we can push through, harm my relationship with you.
2: I I absolutely agree that having a strong next level leadership that's well-connected and, and well-networked across your organization is an incredibly vital kind of source of information so that you aren't surprised on that. I will be an advocate for my peers. Once the, once it's tipped, it's tipped. Ashley aside, like, I think it is really hard to, once you've lost that trust of the execs we've done, like the problem is they get into this mindset and I've seen this in a recent company, not with another exec, but with a uh, kind of next level down where that person burned the bridge and and no matter what they did it was always through this lens of well they're just screwed up and they're screw up and well they did this nice thing yeah they did but they're still screw up kind of thing and it was just over
1: i don't know how um, why people have such judgmental perspectives like I, i always like it's a brand new day okay you've been lousy performer up until now but i know you're committed you can do it and then I get disappointed when they don't. And uh, sure, we, like I have to write it down, make sure and deal with this problem and don't just keep kicking it down the road because eventually someone's not getting better, they not getting better. But
2: an organization, right? We're much more, you're much more willing to give trust
1: into your own organization than you are into yeah. someone else. I gonna say I'm willing to reset. If, if the VP of product and I, if we have fights for three weeks over the product roadmap, you know, and then we survive it, and now we have a solid product roadmap that we're both equally unhappy with. Totally, let's go have lunch. And I get—I just wanted what I wanted. You were in my way. It wasn't personal. That's not what we're talking about. Usually, this is like months of.
0: No, and I think yeah, I think
1: That's, uh, toxic. that's just totally of, toxic.
0: Yeah, and maybe the maybe the advocacy is around you've observed what needs to be done. You have put in a technology strategy. It's not quite delivering according to initial expectations, whether those were miscommunicated or whether you've extended past some deadlines. Is there an advocate in the room that's, you know what, I believe in the plan. We're still, let's just stick with it. I I think that Etienne, I believe in the plan. Let's keep pushing for that. As a means of advocacy, how have I had those lunches and those vision communications that when push comes to shove, that person is saying, I still believe in what Etienne's trying to do?
1: So I, I come back to numbers, right? Like for me, I can't imagine Mark at Avo ever losing faith in you as CTO once you converted his mindset to be dub oriented where it was like experimenting with hypotheses that then get proven out and then you can just point look all these things we said A, B, C, D, they all happen so you're focused on the deadline thing because you're always late on deadlines don't ever let the conversation be about deadlines every technology product Oh, Every so, technology project has always been late. It's not about late or on I'm
0: time. saying it is a it's, narrative. it's a narrative around any outcome. And that's so, right. so that's also to go back to example. So Mark was a great
2: CEO in that way, right? Like he didn't necessarily understand all this stuff, but I got, it I, over time was able to get him into that mindset and then he was really cool about it. He was also a great CEO in that he would tell me, like this isn't working and you need to fix it. So I would never get so far to that point where I'd lost. I mean, you don't have to ask him if I ever did, but, but you, I never got that point. Cause he was also very vocal and very transparent, which was a great CEO to work for. Yeah. And also there was times there where there was like something where I just fundamentally disagreed with the exec team and was pushing against it and pushing against it. Where one of my peers, again, this was a great exec team because one of my peers Pulled me aside at one point and said, you got to just stop because this is not, this is happening.
1: Yeah. It's not, you're not getting anywhere and you're just spending
2: capital. Oh yeah. are you doing? are you doing? You're not going to get anywhere with this. We're moving on. You need to step back. And so I was also lucky in the fact that I had, that was just a great exec team. We're not always so blessed.
1: To I be think on Etienne, when you talked about peer advocacy, that's the kind of peer advocacy I would count on. Yeah. You can count on your peers to tell you what they think. Counting on them to pick a side between you and the CEO, I'm not even sure that you want that. Because like they shouldn't be picking you, they should be picking the side. So if you're right, they should okay. pick you. But if okay. it's you that's getting beat up, but right. not your plan, no, I think just you're not delivering. I don't think your CPO should be like, yeah, but I really like him.
0: It's a great reframe. The peer advocacy is... Kevin being pulled aside and someone saying, hey dude, I think that horse is, is thirsty. Get it some water, but because that horse ain't going nowhere. Yeah. What should a CTO be doing just to make sure that you are in fact securing or positioning yourself to keep your job when the results might not be speaking as loudly as you, you naively might hope? Versus this incredible toxic environment where you should, you're going to get fired regardless. I ask this because I think a lot of CTOs, especially newer ones, are thinking, hey, man,
1: my results will speak for themselves. No one's questioning. They're always like, this is amazing. I, I would go back to the deadline thing being a mistake, right? Don't let any of the performance things be binary. Don't let it be I'm late or I'm on time. Let it be a continuum. There has to be a continuum. And so that's why OKRs are good because there's a range of things that you're working on a quarterly basis to contribute to an annual goal as an E-suite, right? That's what you have to get established as a set of values. And if you can't, you're always going to be delivery only and you're going to be cost and delivery. Delivery is always late. There's not a company anywhere in the world that's ever on time for any sustained period of time. So every project, that's the point of risk. Like some projects come in early and under budget and other projects come in late and over budget. But no one remembers early and under budget. So you only get judged by late and over budget. Okay, it happens, but there's a continuum. New revenue has arrived because of features we put out there. was it as much as we wanted. It? It's 75%. Two weeks late produces seventy-five percent.
0: So do so due diligence in this space could be, hey, fellow C suite member, I feel like every time I bring this up, there's I'm open to what do you think? What is your feedback? What like is there something that I should know that maybe people aren't telling me? Is that when is that the type of keeping the soil fertile action that a CTO could take? I think that communication is
2: critical. I agree with Ashley. I I agree and disagree with Ashley. I agree with it, Ashley, that it's, you're always going to end up with the exec team's always going to put more aggressive goals than you're ever going to achieve. So you're always going to be late, this, whatever. And you can argue, oh, this is, there's no way this is possible, but in the end, you're just going to get handed something and maybe you hit it, maybe you don't. But delivery is, they look to us for delivery, right? So you need to either be delivering or you need to have way in advance and have prepared the ground along the way. This isn't looking just so you know, I don't know if this is going to come in, but this is what we've done thus far. This is the value we brought to customers. This is the results we're getting. I'm going to talk to, I'm going to sit in, depending on kind of company, I'm going to sit in on the sales call. I'm going to sit in on the product support. If we've disappointed a customer, I'm going to, I'm going to step in. So I'm not leaving you. I'm taking responsibility for it. So that's what they're looking. That's what folks look for. Deliver. If you're consistently not delivering, you're going to get fucked because that's what we're paid to do. Being on the way, being just hyper transparent at every stage of the process and actually doing the work to work cross-functionally and make folks aware of what you're doing so that it's not like they disappear and then they're late and we don't know what's going on to make sure like what your team is doing is super visible. That's critical. I think that'll look. As long as people understand we get it, like we thought this was going to happen, it didn't, but we know why. I think they're a lot better. And also that you personally are taking responsibility for that and whatever the implications So You're not leaving your peers out to dry. That's another important part.
1: I was part of a project at a, a large company where it was mandated by the board that a certain thing would happen in a certain period of time. And the technology project was given to me, this has to happen, go make it happen. And it was a $5 million cost project. And along the way, there was one director, senior director of engineering who had another project that they were working on, which was an upgrade to our payment system, our order management system. And they said, no, I'm not going to be able to do this new project that you are needing me to be a part of and also maintain this other goal that's very important to the company. And I was like, yeah, but they said it has to happen. And She was like, no, it can't happen. And so there was some back and forth and eventually it was like, okay, let's make a presentation and then change the board's mind based on the content that you've got, why it can't happen. And I'm looking back on that and realizing that her position as a senior exec, as a woman, is very different than my position as a man. So in her shoes, I would have said, sure, because the consequences for failing would have been, at least at the senior director level, I still could have made VP if i had failed to do one of those two things. Because everybody would have known the thing we were trying to do was impossible to begin with. So if we accomplished half of what we set out to do, I'd be rewarded. But she had struggled to get there against the same biases that every other woman in engineering struggles with. And she had the experience and confidence to know that saying yes to me was a trap. Like my goal was get this impossible project done i wasn't related to the payments thing if that failed that's not my problem i wasn't thinking of it that way but seeing the difference between the way in which we get measured in performance based on being part of the in-group where failure is more tolerable or even getting fired is more tolerable right like it's a lot easier to get a job being me than it is someone else so the advice you're giving I'm thinking. First off, I don't think I could do that. I couldn't succeed following the advice that you're giving about careful, maintained warnings, because it seems like people just ignore the warnings that I give them. When I say this project might be late, they're like, "Yeah, yeah, we know, but we've heard you." <laughs> to
2: be late, and they're saying, "This is what we've done. This yeah. is where we're going. This is why this is," and making sure they understand it as non technical people that's the other part is we say we misconfigured istio and it it ended up causing this issue and it's put us back a week and because of that whatever and they just hear back a week but you actually need to follow up and go this is why we needed to do it this way this is why that happened this is what we're going to do differently to to fix it this is how we're going to try and make up the time so that they understand.
1: Like, at the end, it's a people pleaser. If you try to correct along the way by saying, we're going to rescue my mistakes,
2: we're going to fix it. But not taking responsibility for saying, yeah, this set us back a week and we're going to be late a week. Nobody wants to hear that. What they want to hear is, this set us back a week and this is how we're either going to drop this to make that date, because that is you solving the problem. So I think your point around empathy for the person and their specific issues or their specific situation is really important. I think though, it's also empathy for the role because we're judged by different metrics, right? So me as CTO, I am judged very differently than the CMO or the CRO or the CFO. And so to understand that when I'm talking to the CFO and saying, this is going to delay delivery by two weeks. What they're thinking is our projections on revenue for the year that I've committed to the board are now broken and in trouble with the board because now we're not hitting our revenue targets or the CRO is going, "I I need to sell this to customers. I need this to make sales and I'm committed to a number. And now you're telling me that I'm going to, and I'm bonused based on hitting that number. You just told my entire organization we're going to lose
1: money out of their paycheck. I mean, you just explained why CMOs and VPs of sales hate CTOs in the first place. is because like when we're late, it's costing them personal income. So like that level of empathy is so important.
2: Yeah. So that's, that's why I believe, I truly love and believe in Agile and have done for a thousand years and try and build Agile and Lean organizations. by also just building a, a Lean and Agile technology product development organization while the rest of the company pretends like it's 1990 is an absolute disaster because you're just setting up all your peers to fail and you're like whatever we failed failure's awesome right i'm right. getting fired or I can't, it. It. I can't buy the car for my kid because i was expecting a bonus based on selling this feature that mm. you didn't deliver and you don't care about
1: i come back to okrs because basically you're connecting two weeks late is money so if you acknowledge you can't fix two weeks late but you can probably fix money right like you can probably fix the missed revenue you can do something somewhere else better you can increase the visibility around documentation so that the sales team gets better training and can close more deals like i think trying to fix the uncertainty around estimates by just working harder, it's foolish. And only if you have a ton of trust from your CEO, can you get through that?
2: It's not about working hard, it's not about saying, although to be honest, if you're in that kind of situation, which a lot of companies are, right? A lot of companies are in this situation where technology is like, we're doing what we're doing and they and the rest of the organizations are committed to a number. yeah, And we are bonused or fired based on hitting that number. So they have very little sympathy for this kind of thing. If you're really good, you can convince the entire E-team to work in this way. If you're not good, or you're just enjoying a company that's already working this way, you actually have to figure out so that it doesn't feel like you're not accountable. That's the critical thing they want to hear from you is, I understand, look, this happened. I understand it happened. I'm accountable for it. And maybe they would love to hear, we're going to work late for two weeks. So that we make our commitment. Like they want to hear that you are serious about a commitment. It could also be, we're going to drop this feature. We're still going to get this product out the door. We're going to minus, we're going to drop this feature. We believe it. So they want to just hear a plan that you just don't go, we're late and
1: that's fine. I think you have to have empathy for whose KPIs or OKRs you're having an impact on and then go to them and say, so what's going to happen? I'm starting to feel like we're going to be a quarter late on delivering some technology projects how bad is that going to be for you and SEO? Overcome this, and then that's another way you build allies, right? That's the valuable part of the conversation. <laughs> that's the valuable part. No,
0: I, I think it's hard work to get to this point, but you've definitely helped me understand that how is my work affecting the KPIs of my fellow C-suite, and how do I have empathy for that? How do I like you said, Ashley, how do I sit with them and say, what is, how does this impact your success and how am I making you? And understanding that role of CT is in support of the roles and results of the other C-suite roles. And, and I think that is, that is an incredible skill to have, even with your CEO. I'm terrible at it.
1: To be honest, I I know I need to do it and I lose focus because I'm so inwardly focused on tech and product and I absolutely lose focus that everyone else is like entirely dependent on that outcome. And so I'm always just like, what difference does it make? I'm measuring my speed. Like I'm measuring the speed and capacity of my team because I'm always trying to play a long game. I'm never trying to hit some monthly or quarterly revenue target. I'm trying to build a capacity that can grow. And then someone comes along and is basically, yeah, you're going high speed. You fucked my bonus. So they're very unhappy. You
0: know, well, and I think that's where my earlier point, the confidence starts tanking because you feel like people are. Like you're not delivering, you're the black sheep of the sea. C- like you're just not getting shit out the door, Kevin. With a deliver, we have to deliver a CTO's delivery, software delivery.
1: There's a reason why it's never the CTO ringing the bell on the Nasdaq, and because we're a cost, right? Like even when we're performing at our maximum agile capabilities, unless you're purely a tech company like Twilio or something, your yeah. your product is technology. I was a good example because. There is a product there and technology produces it, but it's going to be the chief product officer, or the chief marketing officer, or the, the CEO who's in the articles. It's not about the CTO.
0: Just to put a bow on it. Can can I say put a bow on it or is, yeah. is there a question about what it is?
1: No, that's fine. To to, to
0: The CTO is under fire. The CTO is overworked, isn't delivering, is the black sheep. Maybe a delicious level set is how can I build empathy for my fellow, my peers in the C-suite? How am I making them succeed? Be aware of how I'm making them fail and start owning that. You're owning it. There's accountability. It's not just we are late. It's And the second part of that conversation is this is how we come back from that or this is how we fix it so that there's that level of accountability. But I, I think that honestly for me, has been a very interesting bit of a reframe how do i in my first days on the job or in my whatever state the company is in my focus goes away from myself and immediately to my peers in the c-suite how do i bring them back to success like the difference
2: between a great exec team and a crappy exec team and a great exec team the S- sales is missing their target and everyone kind of rallies around the sales team. What can we do? Oh, can we do more here? Whatever. A bad exec team is everyone just, I hit my metrics, sales team screwed up. That's not my problem. That's their problem. And if you're in one of those good exec teams, technologies misses something or hit something and everyone just goes, okay, cool. Like, how do we adjust and whatever? A bad exec team is they're like, you screwed up, now I can't do this. And it's
1: that finger-pointing exercise, right? Logically avoidable because the cost of the short-term change, right? The cost of getting rid of Kevin and replacing Kevin in terms of productivity or Linda or whoever, is like so much more expensive than whatever problem that they currently have. And it's the same with... CMO, if a CMO messes up for a single quarter and has CAC twice as high as it is, okay, maybe replacing them is needed, but ugh, going without a CMO for a quarter or two is equally dangerous. And are you sure about that next level bench? So is- sometimes it's really important to recognize people make mistakes.
2: She making a mistake and kind of losing, fundamentally losing the trust of your peers. think everyone gets to make a mistake it's when you've and again this I think comes down to attitude I've seen this more be a problem with attitude than I have with screwing up which is I screwed up but I don't people don't feel I'm being accountable for it or they the impact to them seriously that's where I think you lose
0: trust if we address the CTO that they are guilty many times of perpetuating that it's- It's technology, it's, I can't it's no estimates. No, you know what, just show up, put on that adult view of it and let's do this. Because as a software engineer, there's a lot that you can get away with because people just simply do not understand what you do. And I realize that a lot of times in C-Suite, people don't really know what the CTO does.